All right, are you ready, Brendan? I'm ready, Sean. All right, let's do this. Welcome to There and Back Again. And again. This week, we are starting our rewatch of the Lord of the Rings movie trilogy based on the books by J.R.R. Tolkien. We are starting with the first half of Fellowship of the Ring, which is the first installment of the trilogy. We stopped at the natural stopping point where you have to switch the discs at the end of the Council of Elrond when the Fellowship is first formed. So, Sean, where were you when you first saw Fellowship of the Ring? I was in a movie theater, which was a good place to be at that time. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was obviously, it was opening weekend, not opening night, but opening weekend of it. And I think I think I went with my parents to see Fellowship of the Ring and knew nothing, well, we've discussed this before, but knew nothing about the actual story of Lord of the Rings in its entirety, having just seen the trailers and then I remember for my birthday that year, my mom had gotten me a poster. I most most people know I'm I'm of a shorter stature. And so people used to sometimes I also have hairy feet, but people used to sometimes say that I looked like a hobbit and I had no idea what they were talking about and I thought it was some kind of insult. Until I learned that it was like just it, you know, the smaller creature from these stories who had hairy feet and I was like, Oh, okay, that's fine. Yeah, I guess that works. But she got me the poster for the first movie that came out. And it had Frodo on the front, and he was just holding the one ring in the palm of his hand on the poster, and it just said, power can be held in the smallest of things. And I don't think she really knew that, like, oh, this is going to get him interested in Lord of the Rings. But for me, it was like, yeah, power can be held in short people. Really didn't think about it as the ring, because I didn't really know what it, what it, the one ring was at the time. So mm-hmm. and that got me pumped to see the movie, and then I started following the Lord of the Rings website that they had come up with at that time and then downloaded as many trailers as I possibly could to watch and rewatch. Yeah, they just got me pumped. So yeah, we went opening weekend. And yeah, did you see opening weekend as well? I don't remember exactly how long it had been out. Uh, we did see it in the theater and it was, you know, I'm sure it was over Christmas break sometimes. I feel like I remember seeing it like it was like a, a matinee showing. Like I remember it was, it was my mom, I think my brother, and then a few friends, we all went. And yeah, I, again, had no idea what I was getting into. I had heard of The Hobbit. I don't know if I really understood even the connection between The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit at the time. Yeah. I didn't really know anything about it. Did not know that it was going to be a trilogy. So I, I thought we mm. were seeing one movie and that was it. So you know, I was very kind of confused and surprised at the end when it just kind of abruptly ended with no yeah, no yep. conclusion. And then was equally excited to know that it was only going to be a year between the you know each movie. Because, you know, back then we're used to like every three years between sequels. You know, you've got like the Star Wars prequels right. coming out at that time. And like X-Men, Spider-Man were all coming out around like the late 90s, early 2000s. And it was like clockwork, like three years between each each thing. So the fact that they shot all the movies at once and were able to release them just a year apart was so nice. Because, man, I just can't imagine having to wait that long. You know, I know there was right. my mom was one person that 
after she saw the first movie, she was like, okay, I got to know what happened. So she went and read the books. Yeah. So, and so did, yeah. So did I. You did. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. I bought the book. It was obviously like the movie promotional edition with a changed cover. And I was kind of like disappointed because I wanted like an old one, but yeah, I mean, especially nowadays when they release like a movie and they don't have a planned trilogy yet, they always, you can always read sometimes and they say, we're going to kind of wait and see if this movie's successful before we decide to greenlight it for a trilogy or more movies and sequels. And mm-hmm. yeah, just knowing that Peter Jackson had that plan in advance, you know, and some of the stuff that I've read since then saying like he went to the studios and was like really just, he was going from studio to studio wanting somebody who's going to greenlight a trilogy, not just one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so very smart on his part. Yeah, I think one of one of the things that they did to try and get a studio to buy in was that they were like presenting it as two movies. And then when they yeah. went to New Line, they were like, this is three movies. And so like it was yeah. a studio that was like, no, this is two movies is not enough. And they obviously were given the green light to do all of them. And... Green light for 300 million. Like, yeah, yeah go make your movie. Like, yeah. what? Yeah. That doesn't really happen. I can't imagine if he would have gone to like Miramax or something and said, yeah, let's do a trilogy and seen how it would have turned out with them. I feel like New Line really kind of bought into his vision and just kind of said, yeah, hands off, you do it. Yeah. For the most part. Yeah, I think I think the studio, you know, I was it was Warner Brothers, right, for the Hobbit trilogy. The, I think the studio was much more involved. Yeah. And yeah, and you could tell. Probably part of the reason why those movies weren't very good. Yeah. Um, but that's not a discussion for this podcast. No, no. Today we are breaking into the fellowship. So, so this movie was yeah. released on December nineteenth, two thousand one, twenty-two mm. years ago. I can't believe that. I was in eighth yeah. grade. I remember mm. that? Here I am, twenty-two years later. So old. Still just as good. We talked about this a little bit beforehand too, but it'd been so long since I'd seen it. Mm-hmm. But even still, so long since the actual actual premiere. And still, I mean, I felt the same excitement this time around watching it, yeah. you know, and, and f- fascination with each scene and set piece that came up. Yeah. And, you know, we'll we'll definitely talk about just some of the incredible things they did with, you know, different ways of filmmaking and practical effects and using perspectives with, you know, Gandalf and the Hobbits and all the different sizes of the different races in, in Middle Earth. You know, you you mentioned that you did go and read the books after watching fellowship. Now did you read the whole trilogy of books or like all yeah, before I went through the whole trilogy. Yeah. Prior to the two towers coming out next year. Okay. Cause I'm, yeah, I, I'd be interested, you know, I've, I've never been much of a reader, but the only thing that has really made me into any sort of reader is the work of Tolkien. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't read the books back when the movies were coming out. So I, I waited, I watched all the movies and even for several years, I still didn't read the books. It was, I was a senior in college when I finally was like, all right, I'm going to read the books now. And I, you know, seen the movies all several times by that point. I used to watch them every year. Usually would, would watch them with my mom. Like if I was home so on a break from college or something, we would usually like, we'd watch the, the trilogy. So finally I was like, all right, I'm going to read the books. But I had, I, I remember there was a time where I was home on, on college, a break from college. And probably we had watched the movies. And I, for some reason I, I got into like looking into more of the, the whole mythology around the Lord of the Rings stories yeah. and was just blown away by how deep things went and like the history of this world that I only knew from 
the movies. And so then I was like, all right, if I'm going to read the books, I want to start with the Silmarillion, which tells the story from the creation of the world all the way through to, you know, mostly talks about the first age. And then, you know, the second age is when the rings of power are forged. And when, you know, we see in the prologue of Fellowship of the Ring, like that's all second age stuff. And then the story that we see in The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings is at the very end of the Third Age. So anyway, I read The Silmarillion, and then I read The Hobbit, and then I read The Lord of the Rings for the first time. I've read them one other time since then. Actually, currently almost done with my third time reading through The Silmarillion, and then I'll probably get into read the books again. But the reason I bring all that up is because it's, it's interesting. Now being a book reader changes watching the movies for me. Obviously, there were plenty of book fans before the movie came out that were unhappy with some things in in the movies you know like you can talk about like the complete elimination of the tom bombadil character or the depiction of aragorn you know the whole idea that he didn't want to take up the mantle of being the heir to the throne of gondor and like that's not really a thing in the books and it initially it didn't really change the way i viewed the movies like i love the movies it was my first introduction to the story and nothing could ever change that like the movies are the movies the books are the books and to me they can kind of stay separate but the way it has changed now the way i read the books is like getting more into like the overall mythology in the Silmarillion. It's like, I'm trying to, I watch the movies trying to pick up any little things that like, you know, if you're watching the movie, they might say certain things that like, I don't understand what that means. Cause you don't know. You're almost like little Easter eggs. Like, right. Oh yeah. They mentioned like this character that has nothing to do with this story. Like, you know, when Aragorn is singing that song, he talks about like the lay of Luthien um, mm-hmm. about the elf maiden that fell in love with a, a man like a human man and then she frodo asks like well what happened to her and he just says she died or it's like there's so much more to the story than that <laughs> and so it's just interesting like those little things that they like you know just kind of sprinkle in here and there and just you know just the immense backstory that there is to all those things and i'm kind of like man i wish they would talk about that more i mean i think like the the story of Baron and Luthien from the Silmarillion would make a great movie. You know, they couldn't just make a Silmarillion movie. That would be just way too much going on. But like they could make stories from like, or movies from some of those individual stories or even a TV series like, you know, the Rings of Power. Like Baron and Luthien is one a, of the longest. A really good TV series. Uh, re- yeah, it, it could be. Yeah, it would have that potential at least. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, that was a bit of a long tangent, but it's just interesting no, no, like it's good. How, how my perspective has changed a little bit. But because then I, you know, I try to think back to when I was, you know, totally green to that world, just how they're introducing everything to like, you know, obviously in making those movies, you want to make them as accessible to the widest possible audience. Sure. You know, they weren't making the movies for book readers. They were making the movies for everybody, people that had no right. idea anything about the story. You know, there I was instantly captivated and totally sucked into this world. So it's interesting also watching again from that perspective, like, oh yeah, I think they did a really good job of like th- the stuff that they included in the prologue and, you know, again, condensing so much broad history into just, you know, first several minutes of the movie trying to give you just enough backstory to understand what's going on, but also not to get it too bogged down in some some of those smaller details from thousands of years of history that precedes the story of of the movies. Well, I love that stuff too. Like the the prologue is so essential for inviting in that broader audience to the story. Yeah. 
and giving that that small understanding of the history enough to say like, all right, now you're kind of up to speed. Yeah, I remember reading that even when they were in like the negotiating phase with the studios Mm -hmm. and Peter Jackson wanted a long prologue and he wanted it to kind of be like a story told by, it was either like Elrond or Bilbo narrating it. And then when they'd finally pieced it all together, it was like, it was almost half hour long, Mm -hmm. just the prologue part. And so Mm -hmm. the studio asked him to take it down to two minutes. (laughs) <laughs> and then they finally settled. And I think it's like close to seven minutes. You yeah, know? something like that. But it's like it's like just enough to like get you where you need to be for the Lord of the Rings to start. Yeah, to be accessible, like you said. Yeah, and then and then throughout. I mean, obviously, I, th- I think everybody knows, or most people know, that Peter Jackson and Fran Walsh are very much longtime J.R.R. Tolkien fans. Yeah. So I think they sprinkle in just enough throughout the movies to have the book fans, you know, and the historical fans of Lord of the Rings and Silmarillion and all the appendices to be excited, but not too much to kind of have the broader audience go like, I don't understand. I don't get it. Right. You know, but to maybe get them excited to try to go out there and find the books and read and yeah. get deeper into that folklore and history. Yeah. I mean, I know he's got stuff in there sprinkled very much that I have references to the Hobbit, you know, to kind of understand. Oh yeah. The initial journey that Bilbo took and was on with the dwarves and his initial friendship with Gandalf and all of that. Yeah, there's Those lots more of references it. to the Hobbit. In, yeah. Up until the moment that Bilbo leaves, like he's telling the story to the kids at the party about the trolls. Yeah, and, and then you see it. those trolls later on. Yeah, that was pretty cool. And that's another part, The you know, Arwen being the one that takes Frodo to Rivendell when they're being chased by the Nazgul, like that was, that's another big change from the book, Mm -hmm. but which, you know, I really, I don't care. It worked. It It worked. worked. I mean, I mean, I think again, like him being a big enough fan as the director and like the overall overseer of the production, like he kind of knew this stuff, like this will work as a change and this would not for sure. You know, I don't think a lot of things that he did, at least from what I heard at the time, because I remember seeing Return of the King with a huge fan, like a like a diehard Lord of the Rings fan. Uh-huh. He never mentioned like being terribly upset by the changes. Yeah. You know, it, it wasn't angering type of changes like they do nowadays with some books. You know, they weren't controversial or polarizing. They were just couldn't really put this in. It didn't fit, you yeah. know, to make it accessible. So, yeah. so anyway, as we get further into this discussion, so we both watched this within the past week here. You, you sat down with your wife and you guys watched First Disc. Yep. Extended editions. Extended edition. Um, yeah. It's really the only way I watch it. You know, yeah. I mean, ever since I've owned, owned them, we started out with the, the DVD box set of the extended editions, which was awesome. Cause it looked like a, like a book set. Yeah. It's like yeah. each movie had a different color case. Now I have the, the Blu-ray box set of the extended editions. Which is yeah, still a cool set. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's cool. And the you know, the movies they just they really hold up. Special effects, you know, because they did so much practically, but it they just they look so good, you know, just visually from you know, just the stunning landscapes of New Zealand that they were able to to take advantage of and you know, just their the lo- location scouting from from these movies. They deserved an Oscar just for the way that they made this world come to life just by, you know, using their natural, you know, beauty down there in New Zealand. That's really, really awesome. And we haven't even gotten into like the Misty Mountains yet, or, you know, when they're going down the river in the second half, which we'll, we'll obviously get to in the next episode. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's just an incredible beauty of New Zealand that they really just made this world come to life. And it's really, really awesome. Well, well deserving of all of the awards that it got. 
I know with that first one, I mean, I was also like hyper into like watching award shows back then too uh-huh. and watching this get nominated for 13 and only come away with four. I was like so upset back then, but the four that it did win were so deserved for visual effects and cinematography, makeup. And I forgot what the fourth was. Howard Shore won best. Best score. Yeah. Yep. Very well deserved. Very. The, did he win every year? That's a good question. Um, I guess we'll have to wait and uh, find out when we talk about the other movies the other ones yeah i mean i'm probably gonna look before then but yes very well deserved but so yeah so as you guys got into watching this one i don't know what what are you what were some of the first like initial like feelings and stuff that kind of came up as you're getting into the prologue in the first parts of this one you're just like thrown into it you know like the movie could have started with like the shire scenes where it's just kind of like oh it's nice and it's sunny and peaceful and Everything is just like there's this little peaceful community of hobbits living their best life. But they they really kind of start on a darker tone, you know, with talking about the history, which is obviously necessary to understand the context of the rest of the story. You know, just getting into the, the history of the forging of the ring and the corrupting of the the nine and, you know, the big battle at the end of the Second Age where Sauron is defeated and they get the ring and all that i just i love how it just kind of thrusts you into the story that way and then you know you get the the lord of the rings like the ring motif of the score like the like that's just every time that comes on with a title yes oh yeah Um, yeah uh, you know, of course, on the topic of Howard Shore, like and winning that Oscar, and there's just so many the different motifs that are throughout all the movies, like you know the Hobbit theme, like the uh, da, 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 da. concerning Hobbits. Yeah, and, oh yeah. Oh, and of course, I could listen to that track over and over again. Yes. That was like, oh man, I remember buying that soundtrack and like, oh, this one's on repeat. Yep. It just makes you feel so good. It does. And then the the Fellowship. The da 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 Music is just such a big part of what makes these movies so great. So he absolutely deserved the Oscar every year, at least. I mean, at least he won one. He did well deserved. We know that. But and then the the Isengard theme too. The da 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 da. Like just so good. Music is just. It can really make or break a movie sometimes, and they just really nailed it. Yeah. Yeah, watching this one, I'd I'd forgotten about certain things about the the prologue, but yeah, just seeing that initial battle with uh, Sauron and his armies, and always love that that shot from the side of I think it's the Elven soldiers. Mm-hmm. You know, when obviously Elrond's standing there and giving the command to fire the arrows, and then there's just that line of soldiers at the front line, and the orcs and goblins are coming in, and they just like whip up their blades all in this like perfect yep. succession. Like that is, I I feel like in my mind, that's such an iconic shot, yeah. you know, well put together and choreographed. And I was going to mention yeah. that too, because like, I feel the same way. It's such a cool shot the way it starts in the distance and they just keep getting closer and they're all swinging up their blades all. In, yeah. Like perfect, not unison, but you know, one after the other, all the way down the line. It's so cool. Yep. Yep. And yeah, it just really kind of sets the tone for like, these are the elves, man. Like they got, they got this down. Yeah. Yeah, but obviously your big intro to the ring, you know, and like Sauron's real power, you know, and not just physical strength, but then the corruption and control of the ring itself. And yeah. I remember, yeah, when we first started talking about the Lord of the Rings, I was telling you about telling my son about it and tried to explain to him like the one ring and like the the rings of power. And he's like, well, he questioned like, 
well, how do the rings give them power? Like, what does that mean? And I couldn't really explain like why the one ring was as powerful as it was. But then like, as I'm watching this and like hearing Galadriel say, it, I was like, okay, it'll make sense to him when he actually sees this. Yeah. But like, you know, like he poured his will and his malice and his, I forgot what she says, corruption or cruelty or something yeah, like that. I think cruelty. You know, pours that into the ring and all the stuff surrounding that. And I'm sure... I, I have not read as much as you have, like in the books in the Silmarillion, but I'm sure it like touches on the forging of those things and yeah. you know what went into that. At least I know some of the books do. Some, yeah. Yeah, there's like at the end of the Silmarillion, there's kind of a, a smaller chapter that's basically like of the Third Age and the Rings of Power. So it's just, it's a kind of a very broad, broad story about kind of the, just a little bit of background to Lord of the Rings. But then you touch on Howard Short, his score, and how it works so perfectly for each, you know, motif and each scene and each transition to what's happening next. Mm -hmm. Going from that prologue and the rings of power and the title and everything that comes up. And then all of a sudden, you know, the script comes on the screen for Fellowship of the Ring at the bottom of the Shire 60 years later. And he's just got that score concerning Hobbits come up over that. Mm -hmm. Man, that, that intro to the Shire, I feel like is what really, really hooked me on Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And just seeing that come to life as it was. Because the Shire in itself, the concept of the Shire and the Hobbits is so fascinating. You know, the way that they set up their uh, Hobbiton and their village and their, their homes in the hills. But the, yeah, the way that that beginning is set up when you're first introduced to Frodo and his relationship with Gandalf. And then they're taking the, the, car or, yeah, the horse carriage ride through the Shire and just kind of seeing everything. And it's almost like introducing the audience to these people and their way of life, you know, how beautiful and innocent it is almost. And yeah, it was just so cool. Well put together with the music. That's like, th thinking back on just this first viewing of the hour and a half, it's like, oh, I love the Shire. I just want to like yeah. live in the Shire. Right. It's so green and lush and, you know, they've got good food and, mm -hmm. you know, if you're into smoking the, the pipe weed, play that too. Yeah, old Toby. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it also, it, it kind of helps, you know, it helps kind of set the stage for like, this is what's at stake. You know, if, if we don't get rid of the ring and defeat Sauron, like this is what's being threatened. This just being able to like right. live peacefully in the countryside, like eventually, you know, Sauron wants to take over everything and dominate all life in Middle Earth. So it, it kind of helps give you you know, that perspective, like, all right, if the quest fails, this is what's going to happen. And they, you know, and they eventually further on in the movies, they show like flashes of like what would happen, you know, where it shows like, you know, the Shire is like on fire and the, like the hobbits are all like chained up and like, this is what will happen if they, if they fail in their quest. Right. But, right. Yeah. So, I mean, talking about the Shire then, and that, that opening scene and even the prologue, what on this viewing? What are some scenes that really stood out to you, or have stood out to you in the past? Uh, certainly, the prologue has always been a favorite of mine, just because it does kind of provide some of that history of of the you know the first what comes before Lord of the Rings, which I find fascinating. And then the the scene I love the scene where like Strider, where he's just kind of watching them, and then when he like kind of gets involved and takes Frodo up to the room and that whole scene where they like fake out the, you know, the Nazgul come in, but try to stab him and it's this, the pillows and they're watching from across the street. And yeah. And he kind of explains what the Nazgul are and, you know, it's like, and they will never stop hunting you. And like that, I've always, I always thought it was a, that was a good scene. It's a cool introduction to the Strider Aragorn character. 
Well, the Council of Elrond is a great scene. You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of the introduction of Legolas and Gimli and Boromir. You, know, you get a lot of new characters in that scene that are obviously going to play a huge part in in the rest of the story. And just seeing how the Fellowship gets formed and Frodo stepping up and being like, all right, I'll do it. Uh, and then, of course, like, you know, the little humor at the end, too, like with Pippin. He's always good for some comic yeah. relief. So where are we going? <laughs> On his mission quest thing yeah so good. what about you what are some of your favorite scenes yeah i loved the the initial not the initial but the interaction between bilbo and gandalf after he disappears from the party oh yes from his birthday party and how really sh- you know obviously that shows a lot of like the true corruption power of the ring how it even can corrupt such a small innocent hobbit but gandalf recognizing almost for the first time that the power of the ring that Bilbo has in his possession, mm-hmm. showing his power as a wizard. Obviously, when he comes at him a little bit and kind yeah. of calms calms Bilbo down, and you know, I remember seeing that in the theater and like, whoa, <laughs> that was a really cool effect that they used on that yeah. to make him, you know, appear larger than he already was to the Hobbit with that booming voice and like the house almost kind of like shifting around him a little bit. Yeah, it was really cool. Obviously, we talked about the intro to the Shire and just the the beauty of that and how that kind of sticks with you. Mm-hmm. A, lo- a lot of my stuff is surrounding the hobbits, but when the four hobbits come together for the first time, mm-hmm. you know, obviously we, you know, you know, Frodo and Sam, and then you're kind of like with them on the journey a little bit when they're walking through the fields. But the other one was, and then you already know, Mary and Pippin from their fireworks accident at the birthday party. Right. And, but when they come out of the cornfield and like fall on Frodo and Sam, mm-hmm. and then they're running away from the farmer. And then when they fall down the hill and just like, that initial introduction to like their dynamic now as a four, you know, like now they're in it, you know, they're in it together. And, and obviously when the four of them encounter the, the Nazgul as he's, you know, sniffing around looking for them and they decide to, you know, Mary and Pippin kind of decide like, all right, whatever Frodo's going through right now is pretty serious. Like let's stick with him. Mm -hmm. You know, just, just seeing that they don't hesitate. Yeah. And I thought that was so cool. And the way that those actors really embodied those roles and the dynamic of being the four of them and kind of making that they're like a unit now, you know, this, they're one. And yeah, Mary didn't hesitate as soon as like Frodo said, like, I have to get out of here. He was just like, Buckberry Fairy, yeah, let's go. Right. Like, and they and they just went. So I thought that was really cool, a really good way to set up their their dynamic. And, and the other one that really stood out to me, I think this time around, and obviously, like, I'm sure I thought it was really fascinating in the theater, too, and watching it on other big screens, but when Gandalf first wakes up on top of, is it Orthanc? Orthanc, yeah. Orthanc, yeah. yeah. After his little battle with uh, Saruman, and he's, you know, obviously coming out of being unconscious, but he's looking down from the tower at all the things that Saruman is doing with these orcs, Mm -hmm. you know, just ripping apart the ground and just, like, building an army and kind of fully realizing like how how deep Saruman has gotten into this now mm-hmm. and the seriousness of what's about to happen and and just that view from the top of the tower with the cinematography of it yeah. and the visual effects of seeing just like all the torches and lights down below and the trees being ripped apart mm-hmm. really just kind of it was just cool to see how like they f- took you further and further into the story like realizing the scale of this like mm-hmm. okay yeah not only is the Shire and the Hobbiton affected not only is you know this powerful wizard now he's corrupted by sauron but gandalf is now getting a view to like okay this is this is serious now like yeah yeah some of those shots are definitely part of what earned them that cinematography oscar like and there's there's another shot involving orthanc that i won't talk about now because it's in the second half of the movie that's one of my favorite shots 
maybe my favorite shot of the whole movie. So a little tease for next week. <laughs> but another scene that I, I kind of totally overlooked, is, you know, you mentioned that first scene between Gandalf and Bilbo after Bilbo disappears and leaves the party, you know, and then everything after with Frodo in the ring, you know, Gandalf leaving, goes to Minas Tirith and does like the research and trying to figure out if it is indeed the one ring, which in the books is a 17 year time span. Right. Frodo yeah. goes from being 33 to being 50 years old by the time their actual quest starts. But, you know, just the whole, like when, when Frodo comes home from the, from the pub, and Gandalf is there, and you know, is it secret? Is it safe? Is it secret? Is it safe? The whole thing, we're like throwing the ring into the fire and finding out for sure that this is indeed the one ring of power. And he says the, like the poem, you know, one ring to rule them all. One ring to rule them all. One ring to find them. One ring to bring them all. And in the darkness, find them. That that whole scene is really good. And I guess I'll, I'll use that to kind of transition to our next category is favorite character for me mm. is definitely Gandalf. I love yeah. Gandalf. Like I love just the way the way he talks, you know, the 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 pointy hat, everything. And obviously his power, which you you don't see a lot of in this movie. You know, he's he's just such a cool character. And then the way that he leaves when, you know, the moth comes and he's able to, to send the message for the eagles to come and pick him up. And you know, yep. there's only one Lord of the Ring. And he does not share power. And it just dives off the, the tower. Like, that whole scene is really cool, too. But yeah, I love Gandalf. He's he's so, like, like confident. He's also, you know, Saruman says, like, your, your love for the halflings has made you weak. Or, uh, yeah, and your love of the halflings leaf has clearly slowed your mind. But he's like, that's what Gandalf is. I mean, all of the wizards are supposed to be there to help the yep. people of Middle Earth. And Gandalf is really about the only one who actually does what he's supposed to do. And, you know, he especially obviously takes a liking to the hobbits, you know, but his willingness to just like put everything on the line. And, you know, as soon as Frodo says he will take the ring to Mordor, Gandalf is like, then I will help you bear this burden as long as, you know, mm. as long as it's yours to bear. And, He's just like he's he's doing whatever it takes to help. So yeah, he's he's my favorite. What about you? Well, real quick, I want to touch on that. I mean, what you said about his interaction right then, especially as soon as Frodo says that I will do it, I will take the ring to Mordor. They have the, the camera focused on Gandalf's face, and you can see like the pain in his eyes yes. right then. But he's just like that's not what he wanted. Yeah, you know, he, he did not want Frodo to have to bear that or go through that. But but he also kind of um, knew that was probably gonna happen yeah the conversation he has with elrond before the fellowship he's like you know he's done he's done what he was supposed to do and elrond's like we can't trust men we can't keep Mm -hmm. here in rivendell so like what else are we gonna do right so it's almost like gandalf is like he's he's dejected and he doesn't want that for frodo but it's also like he there's no other choice was inevitably gonna happen but then like you said yeah to his immediacy of like all right, I'm with you. You know, right. you won't have to bear this burden alone. Yeah. And obviously then the forming of the fellowship after that. For me, and I think this kind of flows throughout all the films, but we'll obviously we'll touch on that by the time we get to Return of the King. But for me, the the standout in this one, it was it came down to either Gandalf, but ultimately landed on Sam. Oh, yeah. And just love, I'd only remembered Sean Astin from when he was a kid. Mm-hmm. 
and then seeing him as Sam, I was like, oh, I didn't know he was British. Yeah, I knew him from but, Rudy. You know, oh yeah, Rudy. Yes, I'm sorry, I was thinking Goonies, but yes, Rudy too. But yeah, just his his portrayal of Sam and his pure dedication to Frodo and what he'd been commissioned to do by Gandalf. You know, and it boils down to that line in the field when he thinks he lost Frodo. And obviously we'll reference later on, but it says like, you know, I, it's something about what Mr. Gandalf said, like, don't lose him, Samwise Gamgee. Don't you lose him, Samwise Gamgee. Yeah. I don't mean to. Right. You know, and just like, he, that was his mission in his mind. Like he could care less about the ring, could care less about all the things happening around him or the fascination with the worlds that he was now being introduced to, but just like his pure dedication to Frodo, yep. I thought makes him such a great character, you know, and then just, he's got a lot of good one-liners and, you know, his knowledge of herbs and plants and cooking and mm-hmm. all that stuff makes him, makes him just a fun character as well. But yeah. he definitely, yeah, definitely adds a good dynamic to that that quartet of hobbits there yeah yeah sam is he's definitely a great and that he what i i would say my favorite line in the movie is one of the comedic ones but when you know it's like have you been eavesdropping is like, i ain't been dropping no eaves sir <laughs> please don't change me anything into anything unnatural he's, uh, he's so good i was trying to as we were watching i was trying to think of like identify like what's a favorite line from this half mm-hmm. Of, of the first film and i could only think of comedic ones like there's so many good ones obviously and yeah. you know but it, i think it boils down to the hobbits just kind of dominate this first half until we get further into it but bilbo at his birthday party with the i don't know half of you half as well as i should like and i like less than half of you half as well as you deserve <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and i think like seeing that in the theater for the first time like the majority of the theater was just as confused as the people at the party in the yeah. scene, you know, cause they're kind of silent for a little bit. Like what, I don't right, get what like, he just said, what? but when you think about it, you're like, Oh, okay. He knew exactly what he was saying with that yeah. line. But yeah, that was, that was one line that I kind of stuck out to me and just remembered as just being iconic of, of the hobbits and Bilbo himself and yeah. just in their humor and everything. And it kind of carries through the whole films, but yeah, I was trying to identify some other great lines throughout this one. Were there any that stuck out to you? Or that you've remembered over time. The one other one that I I have quoted a lot is the when Sam says, "If I take one more step, it'll be the farthest away mm. from home I've ever been." It's just fun to say Bane like that, you know. Bane. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, that that's a good one. And yeah, I agree. Most of the lines that stuck out to me from this one are probably the more comedic ones. You know, there's. As you get further into the movies, there are other quotes that are a little more well-known for being, like, deep or profound. Uh, like, Gandalf saying, like, you know, all we all we can do is, like, decide what we do with the time we have. Or, I don't remember that, yeah. that quote, but... Or, we'll get into next yeah, episode. Yeah, Sam's whole thing about, like, by rights, we shouldn't even be here and all that. Yeah, yeah obviously, we'll, we'll get more into those as we come across them, but... Um, I do love, you know, like I said, Gandalf's, the when he says the like the little what the inscription of the of the ring says not just the line but yeah like just his delivery of that line and just makes it feel so it really helps just portray like the urgency of what what they need to do yep and then uh i think another iconic and comedic one that stands out that so many people probably quote is we've had one yes but what about second breakfast oh yeah (laughs) definitely Yep, I could say that with every meal. Yep. Oh, and of course. What about second dinner? And this this is one thing I was thinking of as I was watching, like, that and then this, I mean, all the movies, but this one included, 
are just like so ripe for like memes like the mm-hmm. one does not simply walk into mordor like that's like one oh of my the gosh most yeah lines. so one does uh, not simply yeah yeah like that's such a good or, and you have my bow and my yes, axe yes <laughs> you can add that under anything and people do yep. carry the fake yep. soul little one yeah yeah there there are a lot of just great great memes that come from from this movie and from all of them too look at yeah it's more there's plenty more to come yeah Yeah. oh one yeah one small shot i or two actually that i wanted to specifically mention the part where when bilbo is about to leave and you know gandalf's like the ring is still in your pocket and he's like oh yeah and he gets Mm -hmm. and he drops it and it doesn't bounce it just like lands on the floor yeah the sound effect with that like that is a really cool shot and then yep. you were talking about the the part where all four hobbits come together and then they fall down the hill and Frodo mm-hmm. gets up and you can tell like he senses like something's out there and that shot where it shows down the road where it kind of does that thing where it like kind of zooms like the trees in, are overhanging yeah, yeah that's such a cool yep. shot I don't know how they pull mm-hmm. that off with you know the cameras and stuff but because it's like it's like widening, but also zooming at the same time. I don't know. It's but that's really cool. And also when the when the Nazgul is like sniffing them out when they're hiding under that root of the tree, and it just shows like the four hobbits from the front and like him like kind of the Nazgul like standing over them, mm-hmm. and you can kind of see like the size, the true like size of him and the smallness of them. And that was a cool shot too. Yeah, yeah. And one that you you made me think of when I was thinking about the hobbits and their when they first get to. Oh, what's that town? I'm blanking. Rivendell? Or, oh, Br- No, Bree. The, Bree, yeah. When Frodo is going to stop Pippin from telling too much to the, the bar patrons. Mm-hmm. And he slips, you know, falls back, and the ring falls onto his finger. Yeah. And I remember, like, thinking, like, oh, that's kind of some weird, that's a weird, awkward digital shot, because the ring kind of, like, happens to fall on his finger. Yeah. You know, whatever. What that made me think of this time around is just watching the way it kind of floated down and onto his finger as he was reaching up. It kind of like shows a little bit about the, like the true will that was like poured into the ring, mm-hmm. you know, like it's going where it wants to, Yeah, it's like you know, like of almost like when the, yeah, like when the ring falls on the floor, like it doesn't bounce because it doesn't want to. It's, it's got a, like a, a mind of its own with it. Like it just falls and mm-hmm. stays, you know, but like the way it floats onto his finger, like it wanted to be found. It wanted to be worn. Like it wanted to be call out to its master or whatever. So yeah. Watching it with that mindset this time around, I was like, you know what? There was purpose to that shot. It wasn't just like a clumsy digital effect. Like, you know, it floated onto his ring finger for a reason. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I thought that was cool seeing that shot too. Because that was, they show that shot a lot, you know, in different ways. It's just like Frodo reaching up to the ring as it's falling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I never thought about that before. That that does make a lot of sense. You know, because in the prologue, we're like in the cave it like basically decides it's going to leave Gollum and, you know, it shows a little right. bouncing down yep. the, the rocks. Like it, it definitely does have a mind of its own. And so it's like biding its time. And one other thing I was going to say, you know, you're talking about the Nazgul compared to the hobbits in size. And it's just so cool how they filmed everything, you know, like with the perspective, like when Gandalf and Frodo are riding in the carriage together and like really like, Frodo, Elijah Wood is sitting like, I don't know, three feet behind Gandalf, but it just right, looks like yeah. it looks so good. And then the way that they built two different versions of Bag End, one 
that's hobbit size and one that's like normal size so and then they like filmed them right. separately and then you know put them together like you know and the just the fact that they're when they're acting those scenes out they're not actually acting with each other because they're in different versions of the house Sets, like yeah that's really really amazing yeah i remember us talking about like how they had to build different set pieces if they were together in order to maintain that perspective but like even like to the point of breaking down and using like different carts and pulleys and different dolly systems to move around the scene so that when if they're both sitting at the same table looking at each other the table was actually two different pieces mm -hmm. you know so that elijah wood or bilbo is in one part of the table and Gandalf's on the other and one's closer to the camera one's farther away but even if the camera moved you couldn't see the break in the table they had to like build it in that way uh which i thought was very fascinating i mean the special features around these films are just crazy oh yeah but around this one alone just kind of introduces you fully to like all that they had to do to make this work yeah. and not rely just on digital effects but right. a lot of practical effects yeah yeah it's really <laughs> awesome what they did and the set yeah the set itself like you say the bag end sets i think i read somewhere that those were peter jackson's favorite sets to interact with and be in mm. That he ended up he ended up keeping the full sets put together and like I think he has them like in storage somewhere. Oh, but wow. that would be so cool to see. Yes, like if there was a way to like win a tour of those sets, that'd be yeah. awesome. Yeah, I know you can go visit like Hobbiton in New Zealand, but yeah, I don't know if there's any place where you can like actually go inside any of those or if they're just kind of set up like yeah. One of them you can. Yeah. One of them I know is like a like on an Airbnb type of thing where you can stay in there. Okay. Which would be amazing. That would be awesome. Um, that would be good for a fall. Yeah, but, right. <laughs> I mean, talking about like trivia and different things, I know one of the things I read last night as I was thinking about this was that they, I mean, they built, this by reference in the special features too, but they built Hobbiton almost like a year in advance of filming it just to get ready and like have the, the grass and the trees all put together and ready and to look natural and stuff. Yeah. And, and I read that they uh, that they used to make the grass look like it hadn't been like mowed or tailored, you know, by modern day tools. They just uh, let the sheep graze there, yeah, and just kind of let them eat at it to keep it kind of natural looking. And I was like, man, that's not just like cinematography. That's not just digital effect shots. Like that's some full dedication right there. Yeah. That's that's planning to the extreme. Yeah, that's really smart. Uh, which, which is incredible. Yeah. Was there any other trivia that over time you've been like, has just been fascinating to you about these movies or this, at least this first one, the first half of this first one? Nothing else is coming to mind. I know I, I think like, everything that I keep thinking of, I think is from the second half of the movie. So there will definitely more, more to talk about then. Two things for me that I found fascinating, mm -hmm. not fascinating, but just like interesting was my my favorite actor right now, not like all time, but right now, is Jake Gyllenhaal. Okay. And I remember seeing in an interview with him that he had auditioned for Frodo. Ah. And just like thinking about like, man, I do really like him as an actor and he's done a lot of great things, but cannot picture him as Frodo. No. And obviously cannot picture anybody as Elijah Wood or anybody other than Elijah Wood as Frodo now. Right. But yeah, it, it has to have a certain character and a certain look and- Jalen Hall does not pull that off. No. Yeah, it'd be really hard to imagine anybody other than, you know, for any of the cast, you know, because they obviously right. are just have become such iconic characters. And have you ever have you ever heard of Stuart Townsend? 
Yeah, he was the guy that was originally Aragorn, right? And then they yeah. fired him and replaced him with four days after filming. Like, um, yeah, I mean, I know like Peter Jackson says they needed somebody older. Yeah. So that's when Vigo came into the picture, but still, like, what would it be like to be on that set and you're already filming some of the scenes and they're like, you know what? It's not going to work out. Yeah. And then, then to see how successful those films got later on. Yeah, that would like I, I, I personally cannot name a single thing that Stuart Townsend has been in since hearing about that. So, like, did that tank you? That's, yeah, that's awful. But it definitely propelled Viggo Mortensen further forward. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely a lucky, a lucky break for him. So, but yeah, so we are, I mean, that was, that was amazing. That was a good intro, good start, natural break after the council, after they are declared the fellowship of the ring. Yeah, I can't wait to watch um, the, the next the next part. Yeah, yeah, we'll get right into that on the next episode. And yeah, just looking forward to real discussion because like you said, now it kind of ramps up. There's been a journey to Rivendell and now it's really going to ramp up into the the full journey uh, with the Fellowship as, as a whole. So Yeah, a lot more action in the second half of the movie. Well, we hope everybody else joins us on this journey, journeying through the movies and that you choose to watch as we go. But if you don't, hope you enjoy our conversations and highlights here with this one. So we are very glad that you are with us. Here at the end of this podcast.